0: This editorially independent activity is supported by Iveric Bio and the Stellis Company. Iveric Bio has no input in the development of this content. Hello, my name is Nate Radcliffe. I am a cataract and glaucoma surgeon, and I practice in New York City. I'm joined here by two of my colleagues, Dr. John Kitchens and Dr. Deb Rosvet.
1: Hey, Nate, my name's John Kitchens, and I'm a retina specialist in Lexington, Kentucky with Retina Associates of Kentucky and Eye Care Partners.
2: And I'm Dr. Deb Ristfit from Alexandria, Minnesota with Vance Thompson Vision, focusing on the anterior segment in glaucoma, cataracts and oculoplastics.
0: Well, welcome to the program and uh, thank you two for joining us today. Uh, We're gonna be having a conversation tonight uh, about a major milestone in a disease state uh, in ophthalmology. Uh, and you know, these things come along at maybe once a decade where you really have something uh, that's a giant leap forward for the field and uh, a treatment that can finally address geographic atrophy uh, strikes that uh, to me. Um, as I learned a little bit about the management of geographic atrophy and what the future treatment paradigms will look like, uh, it really brought to mind a lot of similarities and parallels uh, with glaucoma, and uh, also some of the important considerations of managing cataract and glaucoma. It seems like now we may be uh, entering a similar world uh, in terms of thinking about geographic atrophy a little bit differently. And so I brought a couple of experts uh, to the the conversation here, and we'll be talking about uh, how all these uh, similarities come about in clinical practice. John, I thought uh, you might be able to get us started before we talk about what's happening with geographic atrophy today. Uh, you know, what is the history of geographic atrophy care and its management prior to these new treatment options?
1: Well, well, Nate, um, you know, I think it, it's a great point. Looking in the past gives us a good perspective on what we have now. But really, it was not much uh, as far as that goes. You know, when I started doing this almost 20 years ago, it was right in the era when we had PDT and then and anti vegf therapy, which just revolutionized the treatment of wet macular degeneration. But we were still at a loss uh, for the treatment of geographic atrophy, which can cause every bit as much vision loss as wet macular degeneration. It's relentlessly progressive. And when it involves the center vision, you're affected and and it will continue to evolve and cause further loss of vision and, and can drop patients down to that 2,200, 2,400 level. A-RADS vitamins don't do anything for it. Supplements don't do anything for it. it. It's really a tough disease. And so that's why finally having something that can at least slow this down has been such a
0: breakthrough. That's great, and uh, Dr. Rizvet, uh, what's your perspective uh, as a comprehensive ophthalmologist refractive cataract surgeon uh, in terms of uh, your experience with geographic atrophy?
2: Thanks, Nate. I um, graduated in 2011, just when anti-VEGF therapy was getting going. And I actually did fluorescein um, early in my career. Um, and so I do have some experience with managing with intravitreal injections, um, but like Dr. Kitchen said, you know, we, we didn't have a treatment for geographic atrophy, and I look at these disease processes like glaucoma, like AMD, there's really no cure, there's only management, And so I would watch some of these patients go from 20-20 vision and over two years time lose vision where they couldn't even um, see the big E on the eye chart. And so then you're talking to them as a comprehensive ophthalmologist, as low vision aids, you know, um, that can help them and what progress has been made with that. You're looking at their quality of life and unfortunately talking to them about, you know, They're driving and their lack of reading and, you know, losing that independence. And I see so many correlations with what I do in the anterior segment when managing glaucoma and whatnot, where when you take away some of this independence, it really affects their quality of life. And so that's why it's so important to really look at that progression and know that geographic atrophy, if it's non-subfovial involvement, you may only have about two years before it becomes subfovial involvement. And so that's what's so concerning.
0: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, You know, the main thing I would say in my experience is that, uh, you know, as a glaucoma specialist, I've been interested in the macula uh, in glaucoma and you know we've learned over the past 10-15 years that uh, glaucoma starts in the center vision more often than you'd think and um, as a result I've always sort of been uh, you know rather insistent that we get the macro CT and the nerve mainly so I could look at the ganglion cell layer in the macula and uh, boy that's been a career of finding all sorts of things in the macula that I probably wouldn't have picked up if I hadn't been looking at you know macro CT every day Um, So it's drawn me a little bit into, you know, thinking about the immaculate, obviously pick up a lot of uh, subtle edema and things like that, Uh, a lot of diabetics in my practice as well. Uh, But, but, you know, to your point, not much to do for the dry AMD. And uh, even just knowing that there are new options now, it already catches my attention better than it did, say, five years ago. And I think that's going to be hopefully good for my patients, uh, you know, that I'm looking Well, here we are in 2023, and we have some new treatment options for geographic atrophy. Dr. Kitchens, could you uh, tell me what we have available? Yeah, Nate. So just this past year, 2023 has been
1: a huge year for us in advancement in understanding and therapies for geographic atrophy. Uh, Just over six months ago, we had the first ever approved uh, treatment for geographic atrophy called Sifovary. Uh, And this was a, it's a complement inhibitor. It inhibits complement C3, taking you back to medical school here to think about complement, which is a constituently active inflammatory cascade inside the eye that is actually overactive in patients with geographic atrophy. And that's shown on a variety of different uh, pathology, you know, elevated complement in these patients and whatnot. Um, And so Sifovir is monthly or every month injections, Uh, The two-year studies, the Derby and Oaks phase three studies that led to the approvals showed roughly about a 20% reduction in progression of atrophy at two years. Uh, You don't get that 20% right away. It's a slow build as far as that goes. And there's some thought that perhaps the longer you inhibit complement, the the better efficacy some of these treatments have. Recently in the last month, we've had Izerve, which was uh, created and brought to, almost to market by Iveric Bio. They were purchased by a company out of Japan called Estellus Pharmaceuticals. Uh, and Izerve was uh, based off the Gather One and Gather Two studies, Um, And these studies showed that in the first year, monthly i and then the second year, they re-randomized patients to every other month or continued on monthly, could show very similar efficacy to what we saw with SIFOVRI. i inhibits complement factor C5. uh, And so they affect complement in two different areas, but they're really kind of the critical linchpin components, C3 and C5, that regulate the complement cascade. And in a similar fashion, Reduction in progression of atrophy uh, of roughly about twenty percent is what we tell patients with treatment, um, and so that's uh, that's a game changer for some of our patients that are losing vision from this disease.
0: So I, I have to ask now: you've had a few months' experience with uh, both of these products, uh, at least. Um, how how has this unfolded? You know, we all sort of have expectation versus reality. Sometimes it's tough to adopt new therapies. I mean, does everyone with GA get this? Is it just the fast progressors? Is it the foveal threatenings? How how has it panned out in your practice?
1: Yeah, so it's been surprising the amount of interest from patients uh, with regards to this. And We've been talking to patients for about a year about atrophy, knowing that these treatments were going to be coming, Uh, and and what we thought was that it was going to be kind of a hard sell for patients, frankly, to have a 20% reduction in progression. With honestly, at two years, no significant difference in the overall treatment groups in visual acuity, just an anatomical reduction in progression of atrophy. And the FDA approved it because they said, look, if the anatomy shows a benefit, eventually in a chronic disease process like this, it will lead to improvements in visual acuity compared to untreated patients. Uh, And it was exactly the opposite. Patient interest and desire for this was significant. And I would say that 80% of patients that I talked to about this in our clinic were interested in having it. Now, I think the real key is, and we'll get into this in a bit, is the diagnostics and being able to show a patient how they've progressed. It's one thing if you've got a patient who's lost vision in one eye to geographic atrophy to show them their atrophy in the other eye, and they're going to, they're going to want it right away. But it's another thing to take a patient that's good seeing, which is honestly who we should be looking for, the good seeing patients, and show them how their atrophies progressed over six or 12 months through an OCT or autofluorescence or fluorescein angiography and have them say, oh man, I can see where this is headed. And they want to adopt the treatment uh, at an earlier stage, which is honestly probably when it's going to be the most effective at preserving vision.
0: Makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing that experience. As we mentioned at the beginning of the program, uh, as I first heard about these new paradigms in terms of managing geographic atrophy, glaucoma came to my mind. It's no accident. I'm a glaucoma specialist, but you know, here are some of the similarities between these two disease states uh, in my mind. Um, you know, one is that they're both uh, irreversible. Um, they both are progressive, and then they're slowly progressive. And when something's slowly progressive, it, it adds challenges, right? There may not have the patient urgency. You know, we struggle with eye drops and glaucoma because the patient can't really see the treatment effect. It, it takes a lot of faith. Uh, I, I suspect that will be the case uh, for some patients getting a geographic atrophy. Uh, but there's also a lot of similarities in terms of just monitoring for progression. We all have, you know, photography. Uh, we've talked a little bit about OCTs. It's, it's critical to both of our, uh, you know, our management paradigms. Uh, and at the end of the day, uh, it's all the central vision that, that matters to patients. And, you know, we talk about peripheral vision and, and glaucoma, but if I can keep the central, you know, we win. Um, Deborah, could you, you know, give us some of your uh, observations? Uh, you manage cataract, uh, you manage glaucoma, you've had experience managing uh, geographic atrophy as well. Uh, but but what do you think of, of some of these similarities in these paradigms?
2: You know, Nate, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm such um, uh, an advocate for early intervention when it comes to glaucoma. And so now we have all these tools in our toolkit with minimally invasive glaucoma surgery. So we're not waiting until someone is moderate or severe. We're we're intervening earlier and taking some of the burden off of our patients um, so that they do have quality of vision for the rest of their life. And so this quality of vision, quality of life really um, sparks my attention in other areas such as AMD. And so when I look at a patient that has geographic atrophy, I'm thinking of the same thing. How close is it to the fovea? How quickly are they progressing through our technologies that we have? If I'm doing cataract surgery, could that really factor into what type of lens I'm going to be using? And then I also think about what happens with continued injections over time. Um, with pressure fluctuation, and so just like we talk about how ocular surface disease is, you know, really important to look at throughout all of our specialties, so is the retina, as that factors into what decisions we're making for these patients long term.
0: Thanks for sharing, and you know, John, I'm I'm sort of uh, chuckling because I know you're a retina specialist, but you probably can't avoid glaucoma uh, as much as you'd like to. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about uh, about these two diseases, and you know how they um... How there's have similarities.
1: Yeah, Nate. So I'll tell you, Deb hit on something really important there. And that is recognition of this, especially in the cataract patient. You know, I know a lot of people listening to this are going to be glaucoma specialists, but there's also going to be a subset that are cataract specialists. And just like you don't want to miss an epiretinal membrane or wet macular degeneration, especially in your premium IOL patients, you don't want to miss geographic atrophy in those patients. And it can be even more subtle because you cannot see that early atrophy and they'll have a normal looking foveal contour. And so you really have to learn how to look at these patients with a variety of different imaging, including autofluorescence and OCT and recognize it because they're not going to be your happy multifocal patients, uh, or premium IOL patients. Uh, I also agree that just like you had said, Nate, this is a slowly progressive disease. Uh, it's not one that you oftentimes have to convince patients they have a problem, or at least the patients in our clinic. Many times they realize they're having a problem. In many instances, they've already had a problem with their fellow eye. But it does require that kind of astute clinician that's looking and saying, hey, wait a second, you're still twenty twenty, but I'm seeing something on the horizon. And let's get you treatment, or at least get you evaluated for treatment before you lose vision rather than after the process has already started.
0: Yeah, and I I think that uh, concept of of early management and, uh, of course, you know, picking the right cases where it's going to benefit the patient, but, um, you know, glaucoma, you know, a couple of things we've learned. Uh, One is that, you know, the earlier you treat it, the better the patient's trajectory is over time, Uh, and the other is that patients don't take their drops. So in many ways, we're lucky to skip the whole eye drop phase uh, for, for uh, you know, um, geographic atrophy, you know, going right to physician delivered therapy, which, you know, is is more organized and more definite, you know, in, in my opinion, uh, for both glaucoma and uh, and uh, geographic atrophy. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll continue the discussion with Dr. Risvet and Dr. Kitchens. This editorially independent activity is supported by Iveric Bio and the Stellis Company. Iverick Bio has no input in the development of this content. And we're back discussing the changing paradigm of geographic atrophy management. But well, thank you both for joining me in this discussion of the evolving paradigms of geographic atrophy management. As we think about how we are gonna manage this uh, in practice, um, you know, in a practical way, uh, thinking about how our diagnostics are gonna to lead to our intervention, which may be a number of interventions. It may be um, just the recognition of the disease and a discussion. It may be uh, the referral of a patient to a retina specialist, or it may be the treatment uh, for for different you know different people involved in the care of our patients. Uh, I thought we could take a little bit of time to talk about uh, what we're using for diagnostics these days, and I think you know one question. A comprehensive ophthalmologist or glaucoma doctor may wonder is whether they have the tools to really monitor for geographic atrophy progression uh, in their practice today.
1: Yeah, sure, Nate. So listen, I would tell you that I think the most valuable tool for the recognition of geographic atrophy is OCT. And it's valuable for a few reasons. Number one, almost everybody has OCT now at this point. Number two, there's multiple different ways to identify a geographic atrophy on OCT. Uh, From the reference imaging, which is uh, usually an infrared image that you can see that kind of shows you where the lines are lining up. You can oftentimes see geographic atrophy on that. To the cross-sectional scan, where you can actually see an increased signal penetration when the RPE is absent. To even things like advanced RPE analysis, which is actually great for being able to show a patient how their RPE atrophy has progressed over time. You can go back to any OCT that you've gotten previously and do an advanced RPE analysis on most machines and be able to show the patient, this is what you look like two years ago, here's what you look like today. And it's in an on-foss fashion. So OCT is by far the best way to diagnose GA and to educate your patients.
0: Phenomenal. Do you use much um, you know, traditional fundus photography and uh, you know, are, are visual fields helpful? Is, is that something that the the average retina specialist is paying attention to?
1: Yeah, I think fundus photography is a good thing, especially autofluorescence. Autofluorescence not only can help identify and educate your patient, it's a good way to track it. It's a a little bit better as far as tracking atrophy than even OCT can be. Um, And it also can show some uh, patterns of autofluorescence, but particularly hyper autofluorescence at the edges of geographic atrophy that can be predictive about progression. In other words, if we see those increased areas of autofluorescence around the atrophy, that's a sign that that atrophy is on the move and going to progress. Um, uh, Fundus photos, maybe a little bit less so. And then fluorescein angiography can be of some assistance, particularly if it's confusing whether there may be some exudative changes associated with the geographic atrophy. But autofluorescence is incredibly valuable. As far as visual fields are concerned, I don't find them overly helpful because many of these patients can have concomitant diseases. They're fairly unreliable in our patients with even dry macular degeneration. And so it's a little more difficult to discern on visual field testing.
0: Great. And then one final question for you, John, Uh, how often are you seeing your dry AMD patients and are there factors that change the frequency of those visits?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, if a patient's on the fence and they have some early GA Uh, maybe GA that's small and they don't want to do anything about it, but they have increased autofluorescent signaling around the area of atrophy. I might see a patient like that back in two or three months versus the ones that have fairly stable geographic atrophy, which honestly is quite rare to find a stable GA patients. Almost all of these patients will show some progression minus the ones who have GA from say a collapsed PED or some other phenomenon. Um, I usually will like to follow those patients, um, that have more progressive disease a little more frequently, uh, and then revisit how it's progressing uh, to try and, you know discuss with them the options for therapy.
0: I'll ask you a little bit about patient complaints. and, and I'll tell you I have mainly one that I you know really pay attention to for what that makes me think of geographic atrophy. And, and you know, that's you know what I consider a version of the photostress test where the patient tells you going from uh, a light room into dark, they're, they're lost. Uh, any other sort of key differentiating questions that we can ask our patients?
1: Yeah, Nate, they can have uh, ubiquitous complaints. Uh, the patients who have that difficulty in low light luminescence in many instances will have a condition called reticular pseudodrusen. And these patients, a fairly new disease state that we've defined in the last maybe decade in retina, these patients have very aggressive geographic atrophy, when it starts, it can really progress significantly. So if you have that patient that looks good, but is like 2040 and bitterly complains about inability to see in low luminance, you know, vision scenarios, that's the person to think about and look for geographic atrophy. Um, you know, I would tell you that metamorphopsia can actually be a complaint associated with geographic atrophy. And I didn't believe that until it was one of the complaints mentioned by some of the companies that are discussing GA. And the more I talk to patients that have GA, the more I hear them say they see distortion and they do not have wet macular degeneration. Uh, and then general decreased vision, missing edges of words, where that atrophy gets right next to the foveal center, and they'll start to say, "I'm losing half of a word." It can be uh, it can be very impactful for our patients. Doctor Rizvet,
0: question for you: What are you doing uh, when you have a cataract patient who comes in, but is of age where you know they they might have some risk factors for geographic atrophy? Uh, what do you do in your office? I mean, do you just take the cataract out? Do you, you know, is there some testing you lean on? Uh, Is it your clinical exam? Uh, Take take me through sort of your real-world approach.
2: So, you know, it used to be who gets the OCT for cataract surgery, right? Does everyone get an OCT? Do just your premium IOL patients get an OCT? And quite honestly, we've picked up so many things from diagnostic imaging. And so everyone that comes in for cataract surgery, despite what lens they, you know, are a good candidate for, um, gets a MAC OCT, we look at their optic nerve, we get fundus photography, and we look at topography. And so everyone gets the same imaging regardless. And it's amazing what you find um, regarding the retina, whether it's, you know, VMA, or VMT, or, you know, maybe a little hole or, you know, drusen that maybe you missed on examination, um, because of the density of cataract Um, So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, reason why we pause. And then the question becomes, okay, do I just educate the patient, you know, we've heard a lot about education from Dr. Kitchens, it is so important to show our patients what we're seeing on imaging, So that they understand that we can't just take the cataract out and maybe get them to 2020. And so it really involves early um, education um, with our patients saying, hey, you have a cataract, but you also have this disease process. And then it involves, okay, do we go ahead with cataract surgery knowing that this patient has retinal pathology, or do we take a pause and send them to a retina specialist before we do any surgery? Um, And that becomes really important. You know, I think about that for, say, epiretinal membranes, right? You know, they, they have some thickening there. It makes sense why their vision is down because of the cataract, but you know that the ERM is probably contributing. So that's a patient you're going to say, you know what, you're probably not a candidate for these types of IOL technologies. And that's the same with GA. If you see GA... Um, you're thinking, okay, how close is it to the fovea? How large, you know, is it confluent? Are there multiple areas of GA? and maybe you take a pause and say, you know what, before we do anything, why don't we have our great retina specialist take a look at you um, to get a baseline, Um, you know, so if you don't have fluorescein, if you don't have, you know, the capacity of doing autofluorescence, those are big things that can really help you to stay in tune with that patient, the patient understands now they've gotten a second look at the retina and they're actually really thankful that you take that step to say, okay, we want your best quality of vision for the longest period of your life.
0: Really helpful and I agree, uh, agree with all those points. It all makes a lot of sense. Have you been paying attention to things differently since you've known their treatment options? Uh, has it changed your uh, practice pattern?
2: I look back to even, you know, we're talking about, you know, a lot of correlation in mindset between glaucoma and between um, now retina um, management. And I look back to early interventions, Um, you know, before we just had drops and laser and incisional surgery for glaucoma. And, you know, you look at the progress we've made in the exudative AMD platform, and now, We have to be paying attention to these patients that have geographic atrophy. And this has been so helpful for me because, you know, you have that early intervention mindset for glaucoma. If you can do something earlier on, you're going to see less progression. And so we're not waiting until they've lost visual field. Um, we're, we're intervening early. And that's what I learned tonight, is that if someone has patchy geographic atrophy or if they have the start of it, we should really be paying attention to progression. And that would involve seeing these patients back after two to three months, if we really wanna get a good baseline, just like we do for glaucoma and we're doing maybe serial visual fields or serial IOP measurements, when we're just trying to get to know the patient. And so those were some key takeaways for me as a comprehensive ophthalmologist, is if you see it, document, Make sure that you're using your imaging of OCT and fundus photography out of fluorescence if you have it. Um, and watching over several months. and if they seem to be, you know, maybe more stable, I don't know if there is such a thing as stability for this. Um, maybe we're watching more carefully. But if they seem to be progressing or if you're seeing new lesions, that's a time to really be discussing and educating our patients and saying there are treatment options to slow down the progression. There's not a cure. But hopefully we can keep you seeing for the rest of your life or for a lot longer um, so that they have time to process that too.
0: Yeah, Dr. Kitchens, could you comment on that? I mean, I, I know all glaucoma patients progress if given enough time. Is that the case also with GA?
1: Yeah, Nate, with the exception of patients that have like a collapsed pigment epithelial detachment, those patients can have just central GA, pretty precipitous vision loss, and it doesn't seem to progress. They also oftentimes don't have a lot of surrounding autofluorescent changes, but almost everybody else that I've seen with GA has shown some progression. And, and I used to not believe that, you know, I used to think, okay, there's going to be some that don't progress and others that do, but now that we're paying attention to GA because we have therapies for GA and we have the ability to go back in time and look at how patients looked a year or two ago with that advanced RP analysis on OCT, it's shocking how many patients progress. And I think your parallels with glaucoma are, are really On point here, you know, and I think what we as retina specialists have to appreciate is the fact that we can do something for these patients, uh, but it's not like what we're used to. You know, what we're used to is anti VEGF therapy that fixes stuff, that makes people better, that makes the OCT look dramatically better. And so we have to have a different bar, you know, for how we measure these patients. And there's really not a way to look and go, here's what you you know, would look like without therapy versus with therapy. You have to trust in the studies um, and, and you have to appreciate that these patients are really willing to do anything possible to extend their useful vision and their visual function. And that includes getting shots every month or every other month. And I'll, uh, we're certainly hopeful that we're going to have better therapies as time goes by. I know these companies are working on additional therapies, combination therapies and other things like that. I really think we're at the beginning of something that is going to be much much brighter in the future and the more vision we preserve now the more opportunity there will be in the future when other therapies are also here.
0: That's great and you know I'd, I'd like to also ask you if there's anything we need to be thinking about with with when the cataract extraction should occur uh, around you know potential initiation of uh, these new treatments for GA is there a sequence that that you think we've settled on at this point? Yeah, I think you have to
1: kind of look and and judge, you know, how much is this cataract impacting the vision? You can educating the patient up front is never the wrong thing. So if you can say, hey, listen, you have a nuclear sclerotic cataract that we grade at this level, your vision's 2050, but I want to make you aware of this problem that's going on back there. And I don't know exactly what you're gonna get after cataract surgery. I think your vision's gonna be better, but I want to make you aware that this is a problem. And if you want to see a retina specialist before the cataract surgery, we can do that. Or we can take the cataract out first and then refer you to the retina specialist after. But you never find that there's a disappointed patient when they say, oh, you know, Dr. Doctor Risvet already told me that this was a problem before she took my cataract out and explained to me that I might not be 2020 afterwards. You, you Nobody's upset when that happens. They're upset when they go, I didn't know I had this problem and then I was not 2020 after my cataract surgery and it must've been the cataract that caused it. And that's absolutely not the case. It's just, it wasn't discussed with the patient heading into cataract surgery. And it, it's more, I think more of a potential issue when you depend on co-management for For your referrals and you just see that patient for the cataract surgery. We've got a great practice in town that does co-management and their optometrists see the patients before they have the cataract surgery. And they're very adept at identifying this. But if you're just having the patient show up with their IOL calculations and doing the cataract surgery, there's a potential something like this could get missed. So be sure to educate your referring doctors as well as your patients.
0: Very good advice and very helpful advice. Well, John and Deb, I'd like to thank you so much for the insights uh, and, and this incredible discussion. Uh, you know, I was, I was thrilled to moderate, but I learned a ton that I'm already gonna bring back to my practice. So I, I feel like this was really useful uh, information and hopefully for uh, different uh, specialists and um, you know different ophthalmologists coming at this from different angles. Uh, the things that I really heard and learned tonight are that uh, we can now address geographic atrophy and that doing so earlier um, makes a lot of sense. Uh, The the role of education uh, in talking to these patients, whether we're referring them out or keeping them in our practice, whether we're considering a cataract surgery or considering uh, injections for geographic atrophy, uh, the education is a critical part of it. We already have the tools and skills that we need Uh, particularly if we're already taking out cataracts and managing glaucoma. I don't think we, you know, we need any new equipment. These are the concepts we know. And uh, thank you so much for just sharing these pearls on uh, how, how to be fantastic doctors, first of all, the two of you, but also how to manage this challenging disease.
3: Sight, it awakens us to the present moment, guides us through essential daily tasks, shows us the road immediately ahead, and a future we can only hope to witness. Sight gives us hope, but retinal diseases can take our sight away, along with the hope that goes with it. At Iveric Bio, we see a world where vision is preserved. Our mission is to deliver transformational therapies for people with retinal diseases so they can live with hope in sight. Freedom to drive, the ability to work, the comfort of looking into a loved one's eyes, or the simple confidence to knowingly say, I see. Ivaric Bio. Hope. Insight.